Hey everyone, welcome back to Sprout. Einstein once said, given one hour to save the planet, I would spend 59 minutes understanding the problem and one minute resolving it. Whether you're involved with startups, personal projects, design or business, you've probably heard that it's important to be problem obsessed. But finding the real problem can be really tricky, particularly if people don't always tell you the full truth. So we're really excited to have on our show today Leanne, who's a customer experience designer at Sydney Water. In this role, she digs into customer experiences, understands the real problem and works to solve it. In this episode, we chat to Leanne about how to find true customer problems through various research techniques. Diving into market research, we help you improve your process of understanding the problem. If you haven't already, make sure you join the Sproutcast discussion group on Facebook. If you enjoy this episode, please help us by thinking of just one friend to share it with. Enjoy the episode! Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Viv. Welcome to Sprout. A podcast about finding your place in the world. And growing an impactful career. Welcome to our show, Leanne. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. So we like to start off our show with some positivity. What has been the best part of your week so far? I mean, I have to say, like, so far, the highlight of my week was a walk to and from Blackwater Bay. Um, and it was the first time oh. that I went down there. And we, I just went with a friend who's also a service designer, actually. And, you know, thankfully, I'm so glad that she lives nearby so we can go out um, you know, and see each other for outdoor exercise. But also I got to see like some of the areas where we're doing some regeneration work for Sydney Water. Amazing. Now jumping in. So Leanne, what do you do at Sydney Water? Um, I'm a customer experience designer at Sydney Water. I use human-centered design to tackle uh, business and customer challenges. And, um, you know, that can include things like design research to understand more about the problem, a lot of user research, or customer research and, um, you know, using co-design to solve these problems. Yeah, amazing. And why do you do what you do? And what's like the story that led you here to Sydney Water? Mm, Well, um, I really love talking to people and I really like improving experiences. I knew that I always wanted to use like creativity in my work, but I never realized that I'd be doing that in experience design. I actually... I never knew it was a career path. Um, I started off in design, and um, I think that actually experience design is one of the best kind of creative fields because you get to design more than just a single touch point. Um, And it is a very kind of end-to-end experience that you need to collaborate with, like, the client side or, you know, the business as well as the customer. And I really enjoyed um, the combination of business and design. And I also really like that you have to understand what people's needs are and you have to design for them at every stage of the journey. And the only way to really, you know, know that is to listen and to observe people. So being a people person really helps. And um, I obviously like to be around people. Um, For me, my um, (laughs) journey started with an internship while studying and that really helped me kind of hone my craft and make me the designer that I am today. Interesting. So what is service design exactly? Um, I know in the beginning you said you started off in design. Is that different from um, service design? How I explain it, I guess it's around um, designing the experience that 
people will use with you know people experience through uh, a service or product and what that looks like for them and it's really from the very beginning of you know when they recognize that they have a need some people like to call it customer experience because that makes it a little bit more applicable maybe to their business so customer indicating that they're paying customers um others like to use user or you know they have guest experience whatever it is is centered around like a person using an experience or going through an experience so you sort of mentioned processes and how it doesn't really matter what you call the type of design but you all use similar processes so what exactly is that process generally um, the process we use typically is um, human-centered design. Um, it follows a, mm-hmm. you know, the double diamond design thinking framework, which is quite well known. It basically looks at understanding a problem first before you go into solution design. It seems simple and rational. You know, you should understand what problem you're mm. solving before you solve it. But you'd be surprised by how many services and products are designed just because someone had a great idea. Um, so it's really quite. I guess, grounded in understanding people's needs and, and researching and, and really getting down to understanding human behavior as well. Yeah. So what do you think is the best way to understand a problem? Like what might be some key questions to ask when you're trying to understand how customers feel about a problem space? Yeah. So when you're looking at um, a problem space, like what we do at Sydney Water is we really try to look at, you know, what are the possibilities, um, really looking at the experience itself but also things around it um, and also understanding like similar kind of services similar experiences with other products but also understanding people's lifestyles so some of the things that we do around like if I wanted to understand bill paying experience um, I observe people's lives and understand what they're thinking and feeling when they're going through um, you know remembering routines or buying other things or purchasing obviously there is stuff around paying your bills but one of the best things that like I really liked doing was um when we do home interviews and we get to go into people's homes and ask them you know oh what's this paperwork here like um tell me tell me about that and and why you know it's on your side of the bed and the other not you know not on your partner's side of the bed or looking at people's calendars, looking at like their fridges. There's some just like interesting things that you find out that people might not particularly like tell you straight out. And you don't realize how important it is until you consolidate all of the feedback and observations and and all the different things that people are saying and also what your researchers have also observed. And it tells you a different story about like, you know people need certain reminders like or and or you know things are not front of mind or different ways to integrate it into I guess like people's day-to-day and their lifestyles and you made a really good point about like observation you're like going to people's houses and seeing things that people like don't really tell you what are some other ways or methods that you use to investigate a problem other than observation um, other than observation, other than customer interviews, I mean, we also use um, customer co-design workshops and sometimes I, I use that for to tap into research as well and to tap into customers' lives as well. Like we might have a problem space that we're exploring and we might ask people around, you know, what are, 
what are the things that you've experienced before. Um, and that that can give you a little bit of an indicator um, of where to explore. And it's quite effective because you get to talk to lots of people at one time. The another one is um, talking to staff. Staff, you know, they're customer-facing staff. They're, they're usually the ones with the answers. Um, I like to go undercover and, you know, put on a staff uniform and follow them around and just kind of observe that. Oh. Okay. I find that really fun. It's especially fun when you're doing immersion for, like, a topic that you're interested in or is quite fun. Like, I remember... Uh, so before I worked at Seawater, I used to work at um, a consultancy, and I remember going to do some work for a cinema, and I was like, "Yes, I want to go and do immersion. I've got to go and watch a watch a movie to really understand, like, what are the problems and what are <laughs> you know what the experience is like." I mean, jokes aside, it's like it's it does help you to you know, to obviously know what the experience is like yourself. So having experienced it firsthand always helps. Mm. So you're talking a lot about immersion and observation. Do you think, I guess, do you think this is more effective than like the traditional surveying and interviewing? Surveys, well, yes, you've got to, you've got to do a mix of research techniques. Um, and surveys can have their pros but they also have some downfalls the i guess limitations of using surveys is that you cannot um it's much more difficult to tap into the why there are obviously ways that you can ask open-ended questions but people's i guess attention span and uh, the length of a survey really matters so it is it can be difficult to get it get you know more out of it you can get, um, you can cover like a bigger data set, of course, but that also means that, you know, maybe the quality of the um, responses would be lower. And so that's why I, f- I find that, you know, using a mix would be good. Yeah, having uh, in-person mm-hmm. interviews is probably one of the stronger ways to do it. I've also used um, other techniques like um, like online diary studies that can give you a little bit more info as well because you get to, um, I guess, almost quiz people on what their daily lives are like and then kind of mm-hmm. fill out um, an exercise booklet over time. And um, that can right. come with a lot of rich info because people often include, like, photos from their lives and, you know, think stories from other experiences that might be relevant to your topic. Yeah, interesting. So it sounds like you're really trying to understand um, a person's full experience of their life um, as you try to understand the problem space. So after you've, let's say you've achieved that, you've understood what's going on, what happens from there? What do you do? Um, We often have like a lot of data points to um, analyze. Um, And so what you do pretty much is lock yourself in a room, print out everything and go through it all. Um, I use two techniques like um, we have like rational uh, synthesis and emotional synthesis. Both look at the all the data that you're analyzing, but through different lenses. One, one looks at the chronological steps that a customer goes through, and that's to help you map out like the customer journey in a tool, what we would call a journey map. And then the other looks at things like customers' behavior over time. So you might be able to map out a or design a persona 
Other things look at maybe guiding principles. So you, you have different, I guess, deliverables or outputs that you're designing for. Um, they're essentially just different ways that you're cutting the research um, to make sense of um, to make sense of it and to be able to communicate it with your sponsor. So it, there is um, a bit of a dark art, I guess, to synthesis because you're grouping and regrouping and um, trying to make sense of different comments and trying to make sense of all the research and see, like, are there actually patterns? Are we going down a rabbit hole? Is there? Is this just a throwaway comment? You know, was it... Um, only one person that said it, you know, what is the, I guess, intonations of it as well, like the emotional energy behind something to indicate, mm-hmm. you know, is this something that's really important or or not? Or, you know, is this something that is just an irritation? So it's it's important that you do that kind of analysis with other people, with other researchers, um, because otherwise it would be quite biased. But yeah, that's um, a lot of kind of connection making and... It is quite fun. It's it's one of the best parts, actually. Yeah, really interesting. Understanding data is like such a difficult and complex task. Um, and something that me and Sydney have been trying to do recently as well for our podcast, like um, the like platform we put it on tells us like data about retention and stuff and when people drop off and stuff but like trying to figure out the why is so hard so how do you like go about figuring out the why of the data once you know like okay people are feeling this way but like what is the actual problem and how would you fix that yeah Uh, well you have to go and ask people um and also Mm -hmm. I mean people do studies on like they I guess for user research they do there's some techniques like uh, eye tracking and things like that. I imagine you could do something similar with podcasts in terms of like uh, listening um, and okay. yeah, and looking at where people drop off. Um, but also, I guess, understanding the context in which people do a certain activity. So when do people listen to things um, and yeah. um, what are the kind of triggers for it? I think would help you tap into that. Yeah, it sounds like understanding the holistic picture is like a pretty big running theme here. Taking a step back um, and jumping back to what you do at Sydney Water. Um, so what is Sydney Water exactly? How does that fit within our world? It sounds like it's something that we're all using every day. Yeah, um, so Sydney Water um, services Sydney and Illawarra, I believe, and, and so we provide water and we take away wastewater and we treat that. Um, so it's it's kind of like a uh, invisible type of service. Um, I mean, people turn on their taps and flush toilets and expect it to work. Where I come in, I guess, is around when things don't work, <laughs> but also to help make sh- ensure that the experience is seamless. But it, yeah, it's essentially, it's a utility and there aren't mm. many others in Sydney, but, you know, we're, I can imagine, a network of pipes and pumping stations and filtration and whatnot. Yeah, I feel like that's the thing with utilities. Like you said, you don't really think about it that often, but when you're turning on the tap, you just expect it to run. It's much like energy. So what is a great customer experience in water looks like? Um. Well, yeah, I guess one where you don't really realize what's you know what's going on and you and everything just seems to work um well and you don't have any complaints about it 
yeah, when, with Sydney Water, I mean, our challenges, that can also be a challenge, is that not many people think about it. Um, we do also have to look after, you know, waterways, and we have to look after how we treat water and ensuring that, you know, it's it's always running and when we need to do upgrades to things that people don't really notice and things like that. So it's a good experience, I guess, is where things just run seamlessly. But yeah, it's a tough one because we don't have a direct, I guess, link with all customers because if you imagine, all customers are pretty much anyone who drinks water. <laughs> Hopefully everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But with things like bill payment for example not everyone pays bills and so we have like i guess difficulty accessing um the rental market because you know they they don't pay those water bills so they might not have a direct um i guess interaction with us but they are a user um and so it's it can be difficult sometimes to kind of bring the forefront like what kind of touch points do we design with them Mm -hmm. right yeah um on a side note, so co-design's been brought up a couple of times. Would you mind explaining what co-design means for our non-design listeners? Yeah, so co-design, uh, I guess it's a buzzword, um, but it's yeah. really like designing with someone rather than just for them. So designing alongside a customer or designing alongside a staff member, designing alongside um, you know whatever partner that you're working with. Um, so it is a, I guess, very collaborative process. Um, and it, it means that you're really, really not just engaging someone, but asking them to input and to design with you to make something, um, a lot better and, um, to ensure that the solution is, I guess, more accepted and, and usable for the person. Yeah. So would you sort of grab your stakeholder person and ask them to like design their own solution um (laughs) well um we would ask them to i guess join us in the um on the journey so sharing sharing research insights but also um asking them to um you know maybe join in workshops to help us uh, design parts of a solution, um, maybe to okay. even feedback on different um, options or different opportunity areas, and um, working with them to like take on board their um, commentary, and you know you might share rough drafts or prototypes of things. So it it's I think it's quite important to determine like the difference between like I guess validating something but versus designing it with them um validating Mm. means that you know you're you've pretty much done something and you're like hey what do you think do you like it whereas like designing it with them would be like really going through what is the experience what are the details of it so i mean i think that it means that the person that you're designing with they can take ownership of that experience as well Mm -hmm. but yeah it, it it can be a fine line and also it can be used in a way that is not actually i guess as intended yeah you have to just watch out for like going in going down the trap of oh i'm just validating something Mm, super interesting yeah have you heard of the um the book the mom test it's a really good read and it yeah it, it talks about how people will you know i guess soften messages that they want to tell you they want to tell you what you want to hear pretty much 
Um, yeah. yeah, which is why it's so important to, to dig down into the why and to also understand people's uh, context and lives. Because if you ask them about, like, you know, what they do on a daily and and try to understand, you know, what what are the kind of, I guess, similar or, op- or opposing kind of, like, pe- competition in a way, um, then you will understand, like, where your product or service fits into their lives rather than asking them about, you know, your topic and whether or not it's good or not because most people will, will say yes it's good you know like they don't want to like, offend <laughs> you but if you talk about their lives oh. and their needs there's no way they could like there, there is nothing for them to lose like by telling by telling you about what their lives are actually like interesting and what do you think is the best way for someone to open up to you about their lives because i'm just imagining if i'm like calling someone up being like hey um so what does your day-to-day look like or like what strategy would you use uh yeah well um i mean i it, it takes time to to kind of practice but i like to ask people about you know just about their lives um like oh how was your weekend even and 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 go down that route one of the things that like if you're looking to understand um, people's app app usage for example you could always even ask them about what's on their home screen and you know what apps are they using when why how often do they open it like that already kind of allows you to open up that conversation to find out more about someone's life it it is i mean there are different ways there's the um the diary thing that I talked about earlier. There's also like going in and going to someone's home, I think tells tells you a lot about them. Um, when I was working for um, City Metro in public transport, like we would, we would follow people on the train um, to go to their workplace or whatever it is. I, like that, that helps because that, you know, you can literally walk with them. Yeah, and isn't the mom test all about sort of like rephrasing questions or something when you're like interviewing? What would like be an example of something that you shouldn't ask? I guess you should try try and stay away from uh, close-ended questions. Um, I mean, it's it, it takes work to to learn that because people are are often quite. I guess uncomfortable with silence, <laughs> and so if the um, person you're interviewing, you know, goes silent and they're kind of thinking, we sometimes as interviewers fill in that space with more questions, and they follow up with questions that might be a little bit more closed. One of the things that I've learned is that you really just gotta hold, just ask the question, like design really great questions first. Um, yeah. by having an interview guide and make sure, ensure that those are like open-ended questions and when you do ask questions like just hold back and allow people to think and if they are if they are silent like that's okay because that's like yeah. let them register and, and really um come to you know come to answer it rather than um following up with oh no what i mean is do you do this or that like that that is that is a very close question because there's only two options yeah. it's this or that <laughs> um whereas <laughs> like if you ask them around like you know how do you go about your day and it gives you a little bit more room so if you were exploring like how people use their free time you could talk about boredom for example like so you can talk about the the opposite rather than 
giving people options, like almost like a multiple choice, like do you do this or this or this, um, mm. you do have to kind of step back and let people um, let people explore that. If people are, are struggling with answering stuff, I find the best way to kind of get them to talk about their lives is to anchor it with a memory. So anchor it with a very recent experience. So you could say like, okay, when, when, when was the last time you were bored? What did you do in the last week? Or, you know, what did you do the last time that you had to um, make plans with a friend? So you have to make it something that they really can remember. There is this, um, and I, I, and I got this, um, technique for, through the jobs to be done interviewing jobs to be done um interviews kind of look at um almost recreating a memory so when you look at what is the job to be done of a product or service you almost you ask the person about um the context of which they've gone through and bought a product so you would ask them like, oh, what were you wearing that day? And it seems like a very odd question. Um, but things like that help people tap into their memory. Um, and they might think like, oh, what was I wearing? I was wearing a dress. Oh, why was I wearing a dress? Because I was going to go out the next day. Or, I mean, it does make sense. Because I was going to go out, you know, that night or something. And then they might remember why they might have made a decision to purchase something or rather. So there are different techniques that people use, um, but those are a few. Mm, That's really interesting. And you made a really good point about when you ask questions, don't give the person like options to pick out of and just ask them the questions. I think it's so simple. It makes so much sense. But for some reason, we always feel compelled to like provide options. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. Uh, it's very common. <laughs> awesome. Now, so to wrap up this episode, um, what is your biggest sprout moment or your biggest moment of growth? Uh, I feel like I've had a few. Um, I mean, but the biggest would be from my first year out of college. Um, I had a, I got a role out of my internship and I found myself needing to um, train others, but also I was put onto live projects. Um, and the project I'm thinking of you know it required me to be on site like a, a client's um, offices so I got to see what it was like um, on the inside you know and I got to see what it was like mm-hmm. in different companies um, at the time I was working on a kind of like transformation project and it was a big deal at the time I guess for me at least um, but it was a a, um, a pretty big project that looked at you know what's the future of this customer experience and um we had a um, service design council set up and it was made up of experts from overseas and they came to the um, to the client side and shared their experiences and advice and it was so cool like working alongside them. I learned so much from like that experience and also um, really got to see what it was like. It, I think it's just really allowed me to step up and, and to learn learn a lot from the people around me yeah awesome well thank you so much for coming on our show today leanne it was really interesting to talk to you and learn more about what you do and service design cheers thank you so much thank you for listening please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and follow us on instagram or linkedin at the sproutcast